You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So when we think about the Advent story and all the things that have been talked about so far, there is a part where we have to think about this theologically. We need to think thoughtfully about the story. For too many in our society, Christmas really is about gifts and colors and pageantry and songs and joy and, and all of that is beautiful. Um, for some people, that's what they want. Uh, for some people, all they want for Christmas is you. Like Mariah Carey, for example. And I think about how I don't want Mariah Carey at all for Christmas or that song ever again, ever. But it is here. <laughs> and I have hope that one day somebody will remove that song from the radio. But until then... We think about Advent, and it's important that we remember that Advent happens not in the light of day. God didn't come to the world to rescue the world in the light of day. God didn't come to the world to rescue the world with pageantry and pomp and circumstances. Advent doesn't begin in the sunshine. Advent doesn't begin in a sunrise. Advent doesn't begin even in a sunset. Advent begins in the dark. It is the Christ child named Jesus in a manger coming in the quiet whimpers of a newborn child in the still of a starlit night. Advent begins in Joseph and Mary and the Christ child traveling under the cover of darkness, seeking asylum in Egypt after Joseph receives word from an angel that King Herod has issued a legislative decree of murder. Advent begins in the dark because Advent reminds us that the world was dark, which is why we needed Advent to come. It's why the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 9, the text we read, this is just a few verses before, he says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future... He will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. This was a promise that because of Advent has now come true. A light has dawned for a people living in the land of darkness. See, the prophet spoke a word about a world that sounds much like our own. One lost in darkness of violence, fear, and anxiety, and greed. And all the people of Judah see is distress and darkness, the gloom of affliction. That's Isaiah 8.22. Read it. That's what it says. That's all they see. Uncertain of where to turn, they look for help, and they try to find it in all the wrong places. They look for false gods. They look for help in the dead. They look for help in their political leaders. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 through 20. That's what it says. It's in the text. Overwhelmed by the darkness that covers them, they look anywhere, to anyone, for any light of hope. And Isaiah comes on the scene imaginatively proposing a time when this great light would dawn on the way of the sea which ran through Galilee. 
And with this great light, the nation would grow and celebrate as if a great harvest had come. And with this great light, Isaiah tells us, the rod of the oppression would be lifted. And one day, all military gear would be burned as fuel for fires. That's what the text says. And with this great light, the land would be filled with the possibilities of hope and peace and joy. And one day, oppression and war would no longer exist. This great light would come with the birth of a child who would come and be the light of the world. That's why Isaiah said, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. The government he's talking about is the government of the kingdom of God. Not some earthly government but the only government that exists that will never be a footnote in the pages of history. See, there in the midst of the darkness is this Advent announcement, this birth announcement of the Christ child, announcing that the well-being of Israel and Judah, as well as the whole earth, will turn on the birth of this child. And this birth announcement breaks the claims of the darkness that blinds us to the consequences of the fear, and the greed, the anxiety, and the violence. And the claims of this birth announcement will not rest on man-made governments, but will rest upon the government of the Christ child that he will bring to humanity. And it'll happen because that's what God promised would happen. And that is why we can light candles. That is why we can sing songs, pray prayers, and come to table. Because when God makes a promise, God does keep it just may require we wait and so John writes in John 1 verse 1 through 5 and 14 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the word was with God in the beginning everything came into being through the word and without the word nothing came into being what came into being through the word was life everybody say life, life. and the life was the light for all people everybody say light That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. No matter how hard it may try, it will not extinguish the light. And so he goes on to say, and that word that became flesh made his home among us. That's Jesus. John says, we have seen his glory. Glory like that of a father's only son. Everybody read it with me. Full of grace and truth. You want to know what grace looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what truth looks like? You look at Jesus. If you want to know what the fullness of the life of God in bodily form would look like, we look at Jesus. And we remember when we see Jesus that Advent begins in the dark because the world was lost in darkness and God refused to leave it that way. And even though the one Isaiah said would be a great light that is dawn, he makes a claim about a kind of light that has come, but as Garrett said, not yet fully come. And because he's already but not yet, we have to confess that the world still has darkness that exists in the land. 
the darkness of stories of mass shootings or storms raging, of political oppression or all forms of discrimination. It's the darkness of addiction, a culture of sexualization, of unexplainable suffering and other tragic situations. It's the darkness of stories like these that lead people, sometimes even us, to question God's goodness, to question the church's witness, and to question whether or not the light has really dawned. But we remember hope. That's why we need Advent. Because every year, no matter what it has brought, Advent comes. And we are confronted with the promise that God has made. And we are confronted with the reality, the 2,000 year old Christian confession. That Christ has come. And because Christ has come... God can be seen as one who keeps God's promises. And because Christ has come, hope is possible. Peace is possible. Joy is possible. Love is possible. And so we begin the season by remembering hope. But beloved, hope is not seeing the world as it is and longing for how we believe it should be. Hope is seeing the world as it is and longing for how we believe it will be. Because when God makes a promise, God keeps it. And here's the thing. Hope doesn't give in to denial or fall into despair. There are those in our society who have a habit of denying things. There are those in our society who will deny what they see. Many of us will even deny the pain we feel. Many of us don't want to deal with the mass shootings. Many of us don't want to deal with the sexual exploitation. Many of us don't want to deal with the racial injustice and discrimination because we see it everywhere and we say, Fred, just give me something that I can just hear because I'm tired of hearing it because I see it everywhere else. And that becomes a form of denial and it cripples us. For there to be resurrection, there must be crucifixion. For there to be hope, we must recognize our need for it. And if we live in a posture of denying what is, we will not see what will become. And I don't blame us for wanting to deny it because if we don't deny it, we have to face it. And if we have to face it, we have to name it. And if we have to name it, we put ourselves in a position where it could name us. And if it names us, we could find ourselves in despair. And we could say, this is all there is. But then Advent comes. But then on the calendar, November hits or December hits. And Advent comes and we're reminded that we actually do not have to resist. We do not have to give in to denial. We can resist it. And we do not have to give in to despair. We can refuse it. Because we can indeed name the darkness. But we can't name the darkness without naming the hope. So we can commit to truth telling. We can commit to promise practicing. See, we counter denial by truth-telling. And we counter despair by promise practicing. Where we practice the promises God made. An embodied commitment 
in the lighting of candles, with the singing of songs, with the praying of prayers, with the reading of Scripture, with the receiving of Scripture, with the participation and the sharing together in the Eucharist, we practice the promises of God through the liturgies God has given us. But we must also tell the truth if the promises are going to get deep inside our bones. Truth-telling in the face of denial is lament and protest. Promise practicing in the face of despair is liturgy and protest. And see, protest is always necessary because protest is a full-bodied, concrete acknowledgement that denial and despair will not have the final word in the world God is remaking. And so we can ask for and fully expect God to transform us and move us through and beyond the circumstances into the discovery of the new possibilities that exist in our world through the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that comes from the Christ. Amen. We can believe in the new possibilities of the hope that the God of Advent brings. See, in the Hebrew tradition, in the Hebrew songbook that we call the Psalms, they understood that truth-telling and practice and promise-practicing went hand in hand. Otherwise, they would give in to denial and fall into the pit of despair. You, you read it in the Psalms. Psalm 3, verse 7. Stand up, Lord! Save me, my God! In fact, hit all my enemies on the jaw. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Psalmist going all MMA on people. <laughs> Psalm 4.1, answer me when I cry out, my righteous God. Set me free from my troubles. Have mercy on me. Listen to my prayer. Psalm 6.2, have mercy on me, Lord, because I'm frail. Heal me, Lord, because my bones are shaking in terror. Psalm 55.1-2, God, listen to my prayer. Don't avoid my request. Pay attention. Answer me. I can't sit still while complaining. I'm beside myself. What do you see here? You see truth-telling. You see promise-practicing. Why? They can only cry out to a God they believe will respond. See, although Israel did not know Advent, they knew the God of Advent. They spoke and sang of this hope. They verbalized this hope. They, they declared aloud for all their ears to hear. This is their songbook. I mean, could you imagine singing? Stand up, Lord, save me. My God, in fact, hit all my enemies on the jaw. Shattered the teeth. It sounds like a bad country song. But this is what they were singing. This is what they would sing. To. God, they, this was a part of their liturgy. I mean, could you imagine we sing that song? People would be like, oh, I'm out. Y'all visitors would be like, oh, we're good. <laughs> we're good. They drew upon God's faithfulness based upon who God promised to be. And not, not just then, long ago. See, they remembered the words of Moses when Yahweh revealed Yahweh's self to him. Exodus 34, 6-7, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But He will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. 
In this revelation of Yahweh's own self, you see the tension that Yahweh lives in in the world that is given to the reign of sin and death. Yahweh says, there is nothing I won't forgive, and there is nothing I can't do, and I am good, I am compassionate, I am gracious, I keep my promises. But the decisions we make in this world carry on from thousands of generations on, just like my love. So as my love goes out thousands of generations, sadly, so too does the darkness, which is why Isaiah would have to come and say, oh, but there's a light that's coming. And there were times when the psalmist had to remember this promise. You could hear it in Psalm 86, 15 through 17. But you, my Lord, but you, you, my Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You are very patient and full of faithful love. It's like he's rehearsing the promise back to God. Come back to me. Have mercy on me. Give your servant your strength. Save this child of your servant. Show me a sign of your goodness so that those who hate me will see it and be put to shame. Show a sign that you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. See, for the psalmist, there is no doubting God's ability to make this happen. There is also no doubting our inability to make this happen. Our only hope is God alone. And we call out to the God who keeps the promises made to God's people. And remembrance, remembrance creates anticipation based upon the expectation hope gives us in the midst of denial and despair. And the promise practicing our resistance to despair results in losing our despair and the faithfulness of God's love and the wonder of God's presence. In the truth-telling, our refusal of denial results in overcoming the course of denial in the melodies and harmonies of protest announced and declared in the liturgies of the community of the baptized. If we are to live in the peace, joy, and love of Advent, we must begin with why we need hope and have hope. We must begin by countering the denial and despair by first naming them for what they are. Death dealing realities of the reign of sin and death at work in Babylon. And we must tell the truth of the world God is remaking because of Advent. And practice the promises of that story through the liturgy. And shared acts of worship as the community of the baptized who gather each week around the table of the Eucharist. Yes. There have been times some of you have come to this table feeling as though you are unworthy. Mm. And yet you know Jesus invited you to come, so you came anyway with your hands open to remember that because, because of what Christ has done, He's made you worthy. Right. And you are loved just as you are, not as you should be, and that's the only love that can transform you into who you can become. There are times when you've sung a song and you didn't feel it, but you mouthed it anyway or you sat with it anyway. And God met you there and washed over you in the hope of the God who has come in the Christ. So you have practiced the promises of God in the liturgy of God's people. And I contend that the promises of God can only be fully practiced within the company of God's people. Because as ones made in the image of the triune God, we are not made to live and to worship God alone. Amen. And so we know that hope has come. 
because every week when we come to the table, we remember it. And every year when we come to this moment, we as Christians embrace a different kind of calendar, a calendar that subverts all other calendars, a calendar that will never be a footnote in the pages of history. A calendar that reminds us that the only hope, and peace, and joy, and love we will find in this world that has the power to transform us and liberate us into the new possibilities of the God who makes promises that God keeps. God has come in Christ. And not hell itself can take that away from us. What the world didn't give, the world can't take away. So we need Advent. I would suggest you need Advent. I think you need Advent in your home. And you need Advent at this table. And then we got to live Advent everywhere in between. You need to light candles at night. You need to light your own hope candle. You need to turn off all the lights in your house and light that candle and watch that flickering flame scatter the darkness. And remember, even when hope is that small, it still has enough power to scatter the darkness. And if you carry that light with you, guess what? You can see. But if you leave your hope on your living room step, or if you leave the hope of Christ at the table, guess what? You'll trip all over the place. God didn't make you to trip. That's why I gave you a big toe. You know the big toe is what keeps the balance, right? All right, I just want to make sure. I lost you on that, didn't I? You were like all in. Oh, that was, oh, he said, what did he say, the big toe? <laughs> So let's do this. Let's close with a definition of hope. See, hope is more than a belief. Hope is a practice. Everybody say, hope is a practice. It's a disposition. Here's how I define hope. Hope is the ability to reinterpret reality in light of Christ's coming because of the power it holds. It's the ability to reinterpret. Everybody say, reinterpret. When we see someone die in Christ, you know what we see in hope? Them living. That's what I'm talking about. When we see our lives feeling as though it's completely unworthy, when we come to the table, we see worthy. When we see the darkness of gloom in this world and we see the risen Christ, we know that it doesn't have to find a word if the church would just get up and do more than thoughts and prayers. We can have, by the power of the Spirit, the ability to reinterpret the world as we see it. And then to bear witness to bear witness to that reinterpretation in how we live our lives. When we see a need, we fill it because we live not in the, in, the, in, the, in the economy of scarcity. We live in the economy of abundance because God is the King of Kings who has cattle on the land of a thousand hills. When we see hurt and harm done to another, we don't have to harbor anger and resentment. We can forgive because Christ has forgiven us and we have the power to forgive inside of us if only we would choose. When we see injustice, we know where the world is going because we've heard Jesus speak, we've heard Jesus teach, we've seen Jesus live, and we know that justice matters and we can put our hands to it because that is the world that is coming and that is the world that is unfolding before our eyes. And when a church takes Advent beyond a candle into its city, when you take Advent from this candle 
into your heart and you live your life in the public square, God's presence in the world will be seen. And there will be no act too small. To illustrate this, I want to read a letter that I just read this morning for the first time given to us by Wendy Evans, who is the director of the Department of Human Services for the city of Williamsburg. She wanted to write a letter to the church. So I told her I would read it. Williamsburg Christian Church Community. As we approach this Thanksgiving and holiday season, I wanted to take this opportunity to share my gratitude with the Williamsburg Christian Church community. I've been serving in the city's Williamsburg, City of Williamsburg Human Services Department for the past 17 years, and I am grateful for the long-standing relationship with WCC Church family. You hear how she refers to us? Our department provides frontline safety net programs as well as prevention services, and we couldn't do the work as effectively without your support. In the past couple of years, we have seen unprecedented challenges and needs. Our community has experienced loss, struggle, and pain as we individually navigated a pandemic and watched the impact on our neighbors. We also witnessed incredible collaboration and relationship building as we came together as a community. I believe WCC is a role model in generosity, acceptance, and supporting efforts of creating an inclusive community. Your church values and ministries demonstrate your willingness to put your beliefs into action. We have reached out to WCC for support and assistance for specific needs of some of our residents. Without hesitation or delay, WCC has jumped into action with open hearts, minds, and support. WCC not only supports your own members and community, but also the hard work of other groups. WCC has recognized the work of my staff by sending cards, encouraging words, videos, and flowers. These sometimes small but impactful gestures keep fuel in our tanks to continue the important work we do for city residents. Again, I share my sincerest gratitude and appreciation for the WCC church community and the impact you have on our city residents on a daily basis. I look forward to our continued growth and work together. Wishing you a safe and healthy holiday season. Wendy Evans, Williamsburg Human Services. Now if that doesn't give you chills, you got problems. <laughs> then you need Advent. Because when Advent takes hold of the heart of one Christian and it takes hold of a heart of another Christian who finds another Christian whose heart has been taking hold of Advent, it creates a church and a community that goes out as an Advent-shaped community. One that refuses to deny the darkness and fall into the pit of despair, yet names it for what it is and calls out to the hope of the Christ who has come. And beloved, by the grace of God, that is our witness. May we be faithful. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.